Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. I've got Patricia, who is our EVP of Qualitative Research, as well as Jared Feldman, who's the founder and CEO of Canvas AI. They're both with me today. Jared, how are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, we're so happy to have you. And Patricia, how's it going? It's good. Happy New Year. Yeah, happy, happy New, New Year. Year. It's good to be back. Only five days in. It feels like it's uh it's been longer than five days, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> oh, so today we're gonna talk about um obviously AI, since we've got Jared here from Canvas AI. Um, we're specifically going to talk about how to use AI to drive empathy in market research. And I think, Jared, you have a really interesting background um, and I know are really passionate about this idea of sort of driving, driving human, human empathy. Um, so I wondered if you wouldn't mind giving us a quick rundown of what your background is and how you came to found your current company. Yeah, absolutely. So as as you mentioned, uh, enabling empathy is our core mission here, building the instrumentation for every brand, every professional, every researcher, CX uh, person to be able to sort of know just as easily how people are feeling and why the same way that they know all their operational data, the sales and the, the things that drive behavior. And so um, when I when I founded the company, that was our mission then. And, and it still is what it is today. And um, my background, I, I, I uh, am very passionate about product and, and, and trying to uh, uh, create impact uh, in the lives of, of researchers. This comes from, you know, as a, as a kid, I was uh, highly sensitive. I consider myself an empath. I went to school for music. I've got lots of artists in my family. I've always, you know, thought a lot about emotion and kind of what drives it and how to understand it. And, um, you know, when when I entered the the working world, I found that uh, it was really easy for for brands to know sort of the the operational data, like whether people watched the show or bought the product or the thing that the CFO cares about. But when it came to the you know how do we know why people are behaving this way, and ninety percent of our decisions as humans is driven by our subconscious and our emotion, there was sort of this kind of black box or anecdotal or or just sort of subjective interpretation of things. Uh, and so that's it's, it's really exciting to 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 think about you know um, in some small way being able to provide services and, and and tooling that enables the folks responsible for understanding consumers and researchers uh, with the proper tooling to at scale be able to deal with uh, all of the feedback at their at their disposal. So that's 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 a bit about kind of how we got here and. Um, Canvas is is um, you know fully distributed. We're 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 a virtual company now, which is uh, which is exciting, and we support some of the the biggest brands and, and most amazing uh, agencies uh, that exist. And we're really proud of, of of those partnerships. Very cool. I mean, on that point, I know we use Canvas um, here at Dig, and that's kind of why we've got Patricia here. Um, Patricia, do you want to just quickly give an example of kind of how we've used Canvas AI in the past with one of our clients? 
Sure. And Jared could probably judge me. I'm sure we're not using it to the full power we could be. <laughs> uh, but Canvas is something we brought on this year. So, you know, back back to that idea of empathy. And Megan, I was going through your questions thinking about like, I think one of them was, you know, how do you add empathy to qualitative research? And and that's a, that's an easy answer to me. Everything we do is empathetic. We want to get past you know, all that, that functional, those answers, you know, how many people are watching a show, when are they watching it, but it's all about the whys and, you know, the drive behind that and the need. And again, that's all stuff we could always get in qualitative research originally. Um, my goal, I guess, at DIG uh, for the last couple of years is how do we build more um, empathy into our quantitative research. And that's when, you know, I started doing the research on AI companies, sentiment analysis, and, and how do we do that? How do we do that best? We consider building in-house. Uh, we build lots of stuff in-house, but there's lots of great companies out there already doing it. And um, one of the examples we use, and you can actually find it, I don't know, is this like a little kind of promotion for DIG, but on our website, um, we did uh, what we call the Great Inflation Study um, a few months ago now, I guess, when inflation was the topic of conversation. And um, we were able to look at, I think we had 5,000 consumers across wow. the US and Canada and being able to add in Canvas AI, understand how they were feeling about inflation was actually super cool because if you just ask people how they're feeling about inflation, they're going to hate it. They're not gonna be happy about it. It's gonna be terrible. They're spending all their money. Um, one of the, the cool things we found was that um, when you talk about, you know, what, how has inflation changed your life? There was actually a lot of positives in there. There was, I'm spending more time at home with my family. I'm saving more money. I'm trying not to eat out as much. Therefore, I'm losing weight. Um, asking, being able to ask those open-ended questions yeah. with, in the way you can get emotion, but then dive deep easily uh, is something. And, and again, I have, I have lots of examples, but that was kind of one that, I, re I remember being like, that's not something we would have got from our plan. Yeah, that was so, that was such a, that was my favorite actual sort of insight that came from that huge, humongous study we did because I loved them. Um, it really resonated with me. And I'm sure that that's part of building empathy um, through like yep. the, an application like Canvas AI. But um, this idea of like, I'm sure we all know what it's like to sort of clean out your fridge with one meal. And you're like, that was so, that felt... <laughs> so satisfying and that was kind of what people were saying in the open ends they were like i'm so satisfied that i like made do with what i had um so yeah i didn't even actually realize that that came from yeah from canvas ai so that's super cool yeah 100 percent. just to just to maybe piggy piggyback on that um because patricia the way you framed um the type of insight that you were able to gather from the open ends is like commonly what we see across across use cases and brands where Every researcher typically when they design a survey has some sense of like what's likely to be the response, right? Like we're going to ask about inflation, they're probably going to hate it, right? And so a priori, we have this sort of sense of what's likely to take place. And then if we were to just stop there, we would have missed the entirety of the really powerful, actionable, like actual insight into the, the how consumers are feeling, which tends to be like why open ends and open ended responses deserve to exist and can't be um, uh, ignored because there's all of these kind of surprise and delight moments you can find if you're able to uh, 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 use a lens um, uh, and, and, and the discerning researcher understands this intuitively, but it's often like, 
well, open ends, ugh, it's going to take forever to code. And like, you know, who wants to go through all that? And is it going to be worth it? And so part of what we're trying to accomplish is just lowering the barrier to entry where it's like, it shouldn't even be a second thought where, of course, we'll do open ends. We'll see what Canvas tells us. And some of it will be confirmatory. And, and there'll be some moments in here where we're going to learn something we didn't, you wouldn't have thought to put in the clean out your fridge moment as a close end, right? Like that would be over over prescribing and you you wouldn't have thought of that. And so that's what we mean by enabling empathy is really, truly giving giving folks a voice. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And this came up. Um, when we had our initial conversation, Jared, we were talking about, you know, why empathy is so important to you and your background. And and then I think I asked the question, and I'm going to ask it again, like, what does an empathetic brand look like? Because we, like, as a, you know, we're all consumers, and I'm trying to think in my head, like, how do we know that a brand is sort of being empathetic um, to their consumer base or their customer base? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so at the at the highest level, it's about the we, we think of it internally as the empathy loop, but it's just like essentially how uh, prepared is a brand to actually action the feedback that they get, uh, and the the ability to sort of uh, uh, understand feedback at scale, discern its meaning and how it could be applied, have the buy in from leadership to actually sort of action something directly from that, and then downstream measure the results to hold hold everybody accountable, um, and that. That at, at the enterprise level with the big brands that both of us work with, like that's no small feat to, to have alignment in that way. Um, we're finding, though, especially in this recession and this very volatile environment that more and more of leadership are asking researchers like, hey, we have to be we have to measure twice, cut once. We have to be sure we have to get more value from what we're already doing. And a lot of that feeds into can we can we increase the confidence that researchers have with the data that they are currently at their disposal? And every researcher listening and that we know has open ends at their disposal um, such that they can enable a, an evidence-based recommendation or decision, take action from it, and then know that it, know that it worked. Uh, we have to keep overhead low, right? There, there can't be an enormous administrative or cognitive overhead to dealing with open ends or else it's not, it's not worth it. Inertia will win. And you need executive buy-in. You need from the most senior levels of your company, um, either they're giving it to you proactively or you're going to them with this, that like we're, we're all of the time getting recurring feedback on what brands, products, and services our consumers want from us. And we have the tooling now to extract what's needed and we're empowered to take action with it. And we're going to see uh, some really meaningful improvements in core business KPIs. The truth of the matter is, is like, you know, CFOs don't actually care about emotion. Uh, what they care, though, is what you do because of the emotion. And so the job of the researcher in a lot of these cases is to connect. Like, here's how the consumers are feeling and why. And here's how you relate it to the actual the actual action. And that, that story we tell between those two points, that's an insight. And that's what every researcher gets super excited about doing every day, not hand coding open ends or any of that stuff, right? So like, how do we leverage technology and empower brands to leverage AI and tools uh, and similar tools to sort of um, unblock and more up level how a researcher spends their time uh, such that this is, this is even possible. But when we think about an empathetic brand, it's 
it's less so about like positioning and, you know, are the messages feel good and that sort of thing. It's more about uh, does this brand have a track record of taking action from understanding consumer feedback and, and then measuring the results? And that empathy loop is critical, especially in recessionary environments. Yeah. I mean, Patricia, from your side, does that resonate with a lot of the, the challenges that you see our clients um, coming up against when it comes to, you know, maintaining empathy throughout their, their organization? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think it's a good point. It's that, you know, we want, we want actionable outcomes. So again, if we know what people are doing, we don't necessarily know why. And all of a sudden by bringing that why to life, we also can understand why people are not doing something or what's, you know, driving or, or putting barriers in place. So I, I always say one of the big things I would say is you can't put it in a, you can't put it in a survey if you don't know it's, it's an issue. If you don't know it's a driver, if you don't know it's a barrier. So even coming out of a lot of, you know, kind of thinking about those open ends, understanding, you know, how people are feeling, that's something that then you can even do more effectively in the next round of research. And you can start measuring that and, and using that as a benchmark. But I think without actually kind of talking to the consumer and knowing what they're thinking, it is very, very difficult to, to action on. 100%. Yeah. I think when we think about ensuring empathy is built into the qualitative research process, was there anything else you wanted to add to that, Patricia? Like anything else we maybe haven't touched on in terms of um, allowing an organ, making it easier for an organization to be empathetic? Making it easier. Um, well, like I said, I think, I think from our side, it's often, you know, we, clients put a lot of money and a lot of time, and a lot of effort into very large quant studies. Um, yeah. you know, we always ideally want to add, uh, an exploratory phase up front. We want to talk to people. We want to understand, you know, on the back end, we want to deep, deep dive. We really want to understand a lot of the, the whys and, you know, behind those numbers that, and we don't always have the time. We don't always have the, the budget. Uh, in an ideal world, we always would. Those those video clips, videos of people in their home, you know, focus group, you know, data, wa watching consumers argue back and forth about why or why they do not like something. Um, it's not always an option. So I think that, you know, being able to use and depend upon these these different platforms and softwares, um, you know, some, some are self-serve. A lot of times it's just, you know, tech enabled, we're still doing it. We always have that kind of insight and be able to bring that together. Um, so I think, you know, in general, like that's just, it's allowing all brands to become a little more empathetic at, uh, in, in everything they do. And, uh, one of the things I was just thinking of Jared and, um, I, I kind of, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to go off script. Um, but as I was okay. just thinking um, you know, how we were using it. One of the ways we've started recently using um, Canvas AI is really in our brand tracking, uh, being able to bring that kind of emotional sentiment mm -hmm. analysis into, you know, what does that to mean? Uh, being able to ask that NPS score or the LTR score, but then being able to say, well, tell us a little bit more. What do you like? What do you dislike? And seeing mm -hmm. that a two might be a like, but a two might be a hate. And what is it that's making your customer like hate you versus maybe they just dislike you? And what is that low hanging fruit? What, what should you actually act on first? So like, that's something like that I've really liked lately being able to include mm -hmm. that in, uh, in, in for brands that we've been working for forever and didn't have that level of qualitative insight in there. 
Um, oh, I love, I love that. I love that. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's tracking in particular, Patricia is is a has been a massive investment area for us, uh, mainly because you know when we think about um, the 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 impermanence of emotion, how these like projects that take place, you know, the relevancy has a deadline. The consumer opinion changes so quickly. It's like why tracking exists in the first place. How can a brand have a always on understanding of what's happening and then how is what's shifting and then why is it shifting? What stimulus did we introduce or maybe on a sort of what externalities are causing things? And, and uh, this is one of the first things that we, we needed to tackle once we released the first version of Canvas was, well, if we know how people feel right now, how do we how do we enable folks like yourself to uh, be able to advise a brand on like not just that your score changed, which you know directly ties to you know a, a, a business KPI that really matters, but like functionally why and what sort of nuances are there? Those people that are fence sitters, like how often are they saying they actually love you or they hate you or um, uh, in, in almost every case? And we look at hundreds of trackers now each month. You're, you're, you're basically seeing that the, the the why piece is what makes it actionable. And then you can immediately, you know, the next week or however frequently you're doing this, um, uh, able to see what's shifting based on your based on your feedback. God forbid brands are asking more open ends now because like the, the the ability to see get insight into this level of detail without the administrative overhead uh, is a it's sort of like a brand new world and, and it, it requires you know um, thought leaders and, and strategic partners to really think on first principles like what should we be uh, considering about our tracking program or how should we be looking at this data maybe differently even though we've been doing it the same way for so long. Is there an opportunity to uh, change the way we think about uh, open-ended responses from like nice to have kind of staple at the end of a report to there's some core insights here that we aren't available to us through any other means that um, if we have that mindset is uh, right at our fingertips. I mean, as the marketer, the VP of marketing here, I've done brand tracking in the past. I haven't done it here just because we don't typically do brand tracking with researchers, but um, as in researchers being our target audience, but I used to always love that the open ends were the best part of the brand tracking study, but often I would struggle to sort of, this is pre all the wonderful things that your company can do, Jared, but yeah, I would really struggle to sort of make the, the anecdotal feedback um, actionable. actionable. Um, so yeah, I can't even imagine how cool this must be for a marketer who's receiving this and it's like, oh my God, I know exactly what I need to do before I get my next quarterly, yeah, quarterly tracker. Megan, you're describing this thing that almost every person who has open ends, this this thing that they go through where you see the open ends, they're so colorful and interesting. You have that like internal battle where you're like, I can't like confidently report on this without spending a ton of time. So I'm just gonna use some of the verbatims in my own domain experience to craft the narrative here. And the next step from that and the next evolution is like if you were presented with like the top themes and conversation that you could verify yourself with transparency and build that trust, then all of a sudden you start to feel a little bit more confident in uh, what you might kind of do with that information. And then the, the sort of the final stage of maturation is you're going to want to start to quantify all this stuff. It's like just knowing the major themes and some examples is like a great first step. Uh, but then like, what if you could actually like with precision, 34.5% of folks felt specifically this way. And here's like all of the examples. Uh, well, then all of a sudden you're going to want to 
offer more open ends and like really start to see, well, how does that category change over time? Or let me put that in my own nomenclature so that my CMO understands it out of the gate or um, any number of things. Uh, and so that's really the evolution where we are right now. The, the grit report you guys saw know that it's text analytics is the number one most in demand emerging research method. It's the fastest growing over the last five years. And nine out of 10 uh, folks that sign up for Canvas are not using a technology today for this problem. Uh, and so the exercise is like, how do we help shift folks' mindset to thinking less about open ends as like a nice to have color tool and more about a mission critical incorporating it into the overall narrative and just knowing that, you know, it's Megan, back when you were doing that, it's not the same, it's not the same beast anymore. Like there's, there's um, no. really meaningful ways to at scale, get understanding here uh, and drive that empathy. Yeah, I think that word you just, or the phrase you just used at scale is like so important because I think that's, I guess that's what, well, I shouldn't say I guess, that is what you're doing. Um, you're making qualitative research scalable for um, a variety of different reasons. I think that's that's so, so cool. And it means that more people can be um, more empathetic in more situations. So I think my next question was going to be around like, do we think, um, you know, adding all this technology has allowed brands to be more empathetic? I think that we can sort of, the three of us can probably agree that it has, but I'd love to get a sense from both of you of like um, any other ways that you think um, having access to a tool like Canvas AI um, allows brands to embrace empathy. I'm, I'm happy to uh, jump in. I, I think the, the, there's a couple of sort of key components. The first is uh, kind of expense, both 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 sort of uh, actual costs and kind of human capital uh, cost has been a huge barrier to dealing with with kind of all of the the feedback from from customers. And I think that with automation and with the maturation of technology like Canvas, that th there's like there's almost no excuse at this point. Uh, that the 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 systems and automation pays for itself very very quickly. Um, there's the there's the barrier to entry piece as well. So you know, um, text analytics has been around for decades. This is not like a new thing that's been created. Why now? Why all of a sudden is there this kind of shift? Um, and it's a it's a couple of pieces. One is around like the barrier to entry piece that you know the researchers, CX professionals, marketers are not interested in like spending hours in a new dashboard and like you know having. I don't know, having to train on like something very complex to use. It has to be, you've asked a question. You've literally asked a survey question. You, you want to know something. And the exercise is, how do we get you the answer to that question in as few clicks as possible? And it, it's not a sentiment problem. It's not a, it's not a topic problem. It's not a, you know, whatever NLP term you want to use. It's not that. It's, it's a question and answer problem. You've asked a question. What's the answer? Uh, and so having an experience, a, a user experience that um, uh, takes powerful technology, but makes it as simple as possible. That's something that exists now that didn't uh, before. Um, I'm also going to just note that COVID was a huge accelerant for this uh, space that like for a, a big right. chunk of time, you know, the offline stuff went away. Focus groups, I don't think is ever going to come back in the same way that it was. There's all sorts of new ways in which that innovative folks like Dig are coming up with to get the information from uh, consumers. And it's technology's job, in my view, to be the superpower. We should be an extension of the researcher. The, the aim is not to replace anything. The aim is to, if a researcher is staring at a set of open ends and 
before Canvas would have to spend a couple of hours manually sorting stuff and then gets to think about like, all right, what does this mean for the business? I want to truncate that to like a few seconds and have all of the time be spent on like, what does this mean for the business and how do we action that? Because that's why we're in this in the first place. Um, and so those those key sort of more macro things are, are definitely driving a lot of the behaviors happening right now uh, in research and is, and is, you know, combined with like the recession, there's, there's going to be more and more focus on like, what are you doing to automate your current processes and how do we get more value from what we're already investing? Um, and technology is the way that you do that. Yeah. I mean, anything to add there, Patricia, anything you've seen with our clients? I, I think in general, I think Jared may have just like kind of hit the nail on the head with like COVID accelerated things so quickly. And I think actually one of the things that it made, it made clients and became made research researchers, it, researchers, it's made everyone a little bit more empathetic in a way. Um, right. We hadn't seen people. We hadn't talked to people in such a long time and early COVID. And you heard me say this on the last podcast, online qualitative research was not good. People yeah. didn't know how to talk to each other online. They didn't know how to cut people off when you wanted to cut people off or jump in with your opinion. Um, over the last you know, two or three years, we've gotten so much better. The platforms have gotten so much better. People are able to write and talk about how they feel so much better online than they've ever been able to do. So I think like Qual's having like a bit of a moment and AI is such a yeah. part of that in that it's, it's growing because for two years, we, we, it's not that we didn't have empathy. It's that we felt very, I think, separated from the consumer because we didn't know what they were thinking and they couldn't tell us what they were thinking or what they wanted to do or why they were doing it because we were in a bubble of disarray for the most part. So I think that right now brands are becoming more empathetic and they are thinking about that more. Maybe that's why qual open ends AI mm -hmm. It's no longer just asking a question and getting the answer. Everyone wants to know why and and what's going to change. So I think, yeah. yeah and what all that means. All this COVID, software, us getting comfortable. I think all of that mm -hmm. has had a big impact. Yep, great points. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, even when you were talking about, um, it was hard to know what the consumer was thinking. I mean, just as a consumer during that time, I didn't even want to know what I was thinking. I was just like <laughs> watching reality TV and trying not to think about how crazy it was that I was trapped indoors. So um, I think it's been amazing to see like what we've been able to make of, make of that time and how far technology has, has shifted forwards. Um, over the last few years. I'm, um, I'm conscious of time. So I'm going to ask one final question and then we'll wrap it up. But I did want to get a sense from uh, both of you in how you think, I guess from you, Patricia, and this is, we'll, we've sort of gone over this ground before, but where do you think AI is going to make the biggest impact in quality research over the next couple of years? And then from you, Jared, Tell us a little bit about, if you can, if you can share a little bit about where um, your roadmap is going and where the technology is going for Canvas AI. Uh, Patricia, yeah, yeah, you you start us off. Um, well, first I thought you were going to ask me where AI was going, and I was like, I'm for sure not the right person to ask that question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let, let's go with Jared first. Uh, <laughs> um, what was my question again? 
Your question is, um, where do you think AI is going to have the biggest impact in qualitative research over the um, next couple of years? Okay. So, yeah. So it's funny, actually. I had uh, one of my employees the other day, we were on a team meeting, say they were talking about AI and how AI is becoming so big and all the all the new, you know, chat, whatever that is out there right now. Chat GPT. Yeah. There, there you know, all the rage. And will it get rid of our jobs? And I was like, I, I kind of laughed because I was like, absolutely not in the way that, you know, your moderator is so important. How deep you get in the question is so important. You need to get the answers before you can analyze it. And then the idea of, you know, bringing though that, that data, that raw, raw data to insights on the back end for your clients. So I was like, no, I was like, it's absolutely not. I hope it gets better. I hope it gets more amazing. I hope it gives us all the answers. It's almost like a quantitative output. I hope it, you know, gets to the point where I can come out of an online uh, discussion board or a focus group, throw all of my my text into AI, and it can start breaking down and giving me information. And again, it's still it's it's raw data in the point that it's summed up, but we still have to interpret that. And I think that you know where AI is going to help us in in qualitative from um, an open end on a quantitative survey to, you know, downloading our videos in, in focus groups or taking down a thousand pages worth of text from a discussion board is being able to look at a question, analyze it and be able to start theming and bucketing and, and feelings and sentiment. So I think it's going to make our jobs, I, I don't want to say easier, but faster, more faster, efficient, yeah. cheaper, which means more projects on more topics. Um, it's, it's, it's helping us become a little bit more automatic. And I mean, in that way, it's also making you more experienced researchers faster, right? Cause you're across more projects. Yeah. That's really cool. To, to Jared's point earlier, you're not sitting there coding all of these questions and trying to find yeah. the theme. If something can tell you the themes, you start to dig deeper and understand it and be able to build onto that, which is, which is what I find really, really exciting. Yeah. That is very exciting. Jared, um, what are you going to delight us with next in terms of your product? What's what's on the roadmap? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that the the mentality that uh, Patricia just described is, is kind of our North Star, where we want to create an experience where the researcher is really just focused on what does this mean for my business? Uh, and so, so how do we do that? So one, you know, uh, there's no you know, working professional on the planet that is just going to blindly trust what an AI spits out. So core to this is transparency. Um, uh, core to this too is control and users being able to kind of teach um, the system how you want things to be um, uh, organized and how you like things to, to work, have it be a reflection of you. Um, and a lot of our road mapping is, is centered around this idea of like, it's not our canvas, it's your canvas. And we've got all of these customers that have their own versions of canvas, basically, that has their own nomenclature and ways they think about the world or our agency partners are able to set that up on behalf of their clients. Um, and we're going to continue to invest in the, in the technologies and experiences that create that really natural, sort of easy to understand uh, insight into how consumers are feeling. And it's, 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 uh, it's a really exciting time because this is the most amount of advancements we've seen in the AI space. Um, 
we don't want to mistake kind of the 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 buzz w- with chat gpt for like oh god all of yeah. our jobs are ruined like i patricia i've heard a couple of people tell me that like oh god like you know what am i you know uh, what am i going to do all day now and it, it's it's not that it's there but i would encourage i would encourage uh, all all folks listening to this podcast to use this as a moment to start to like get a little bit more comfortable with what with what exists that's what's so cool about chat gpt is like anyone can sign up it's free and you can start to get a sense of like how you might be able to leverage this and this is the way of the future whether you embrace it or not is that technology is going to play a larger and larger role in the arduous kind of administrative repeatable tasks that you don't even like to do anyway and your function as the researcher you're the you're the you're the pilot you know what i mean and like basically we've just created a brand new beautiful plane that like you got to learn how to fly it for sure but if you can do that you can go anywhere you want uh, and that's kind of the moment you're being introduced to a brand new set of controls and some of some of the folks listening are going to be super stoked to learn how all the buttons work and some folks are going to be a little bit nervous and scared and don't want to don't want to embrace it but this is the way the industry yeah. is going and this is the moment to figure out like what what these controls do because it's going to affect everyone's career uh, over the next decade it's funny you use that example because that's one of the examples we used the other day it's like well you might have a plane that can fly itself but are you comfortable going up without a pilot there just in case yeah you know yeah. You, you need yeah. someone to run that <laughs> yeah. I, we, yeah. we think it's a similar analogy we, we, we think about like the researcher as the pilot so it's like we're we're not we're nowhere near self you know uh, uh planes that can fly themselves safely but like we are at a point where the plane can, you know, help you with the landing and it can like do a lot. There's autopilot now and there's a bunch of things that will make your life as the pilot way, way easier. And if, you know, you're trying to go go somewhere like this is this is kind of the the, the way of the world. So I, anyway, it's a, it's a super exciting time for Canvas specifically. We're 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 very fortunate to have, you know so many opinionated customers, which is like what we look for. We like push our customers on giving us feedback. Um, it, and I can tell you with, with confidence, like every single cool feature in Canvas was not our idea. It came, it comes directly from the community and like ways in which that we can enable uh, their lives uh, uh, and help them fly a little bit better. And so that's, that's what we're gonna continue to invest in. Oh man, Jared, that was a beautiful continuation of, uh, of your, of your metaphor. That was great. Or analogy. Fantastic. Um, all right. I guess that's where we've got to leave off. I feel like I could chat to you guys about this for um, at least another 30 minutes. Um, where should people go to find out a little bit more about Canvas AI, Jared? We can just include the the website URL in the show notes. Does that work? Yeah. yeah. We're at uh, Canvas, C-A-N-V-S dot A-I. Um, and head to our website. And if folks are curious and want to kind of see it for themselves or a recent survey, they want to see what Canvas does with it, feel free to give us a shout and we'll uh, we'll walk you through it. Patricia, um, I'll chat to you soon. Jared, I will see you in LA. Yeah. Um, and yeah, talk to you guys later. Awesome. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. Excited. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.